as we start off today, I have a little quiz for all of us to take. Um, um, I'm going to read the questions to you. They're not going to be up here um, on, the, on the board. I'm going to read the questions, and what I want you to do is I want you to just keep track of your yeses. Just keep track of the times you answer yes to any of these questions. And you can either do little ticks on your paper if you're taking notes, or you can just keep them on your fingers. There's only 10 questions, so most of you, if you answer 10 yeses, you'll still be able to, to keep count of all of those. Um, and so here they are. Here's what we're going to do. Today's quiz was written by a guy named Dr. Dr. Carl Albrecht. Uh, it was published in Psychology Today, and it's designed to answer this question. Are you a control freak? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so let's do this. Remember, just keep the yeses on your fingers. Number one, do you help other people drive? Uh, meaning, do you tell them what route to take, when to turn, when to brake, where to park, or remind them that the traffic light has changed, whether or not they're in your car or not? Number two. So if you answer yes, just either put a tick on a piece of paper or, or put a finger. Um, and you don't have to hold them up for all to see. This is just for you. You can put them down by your side or whatever. Number two. Do you devote a lot of attention and energy to keeping your personal environment organized? Number three, whether you're good at it or not, do you, do you devote energy to it? Number three, do you have lots of personal rules, routines, and ceremonies? Like, think about when you get ready in the morning. Are there a lot of routines involved around that? Four, are you the one who takes over and orders other people around when the situation seems confused? Well, that seems like a ridiculous question. Number five, do you dislike depending on others accepting help from them, or allowing them to do things for you? Do you insist on being right? So this is number six. Do you insist on being right, having things done your way, or having the final word? Number seven. Do you overplan simple activities? How are we doing so far? Number eight. Uh, do you find it difficult to admit making mistakes, being wrong, or misinformed about something, or acknowledging that you've changed your mind? Number nine, do you become angry, irritable, or anxious when someone or something makes you late, like slush on the road, uh, when things don't start on time, or things don't go according to the plan, like a snow day? Number 10, do you give people a lot of shoulds and oughts um, which is unsolicited advice, suggestions, and constructive criticism. All right, so that was the 10 questions. How'd you do? All right, if you got eight out of a 10, or so if you got somewhere between eight and 10, so if you got eight, nine, and 10, ticks or fingers up in the air, then you are a complete control freak, and this sermon is for you. Um. If you got between a six and a seven, so if you got six or seven, uh, you have some control issues, which means you're a closet control freak. Uh, this sermon's for you too. Uh, if you got four or five out of the 10, then you, this is my term, he didn't have this, but I did, you're a Christian control freak. And here's what this means. This means you're really good at using Bible verses to explain why you didn't put up a finger when you know you should. <laughs> For example, your favorite verse may be, God is a God of order, not disorder. Right? So, of course, you're going to take over when there's disorder. 
Well, this sermon then is especially for you. Uh, anybody get a one to th- Don't raise your hand, right? But if you got a one to a three, then congratulations, you're not a control freak. You are a liar. And here, <laughs> and, and, and here is what I want you to do. I want you to take notes because you're going to believe me one day about this message and, and you'll need it then. But for right now, just take notes. It doesn't apply at all. Just take notes, all right? You see, here's what I believe. I believe we all have this tendency to want to control our environment, right? Um, it's what drove Adam and Eve to sin. They wanted control. They didn't want God to have control. They wanted control. It's what drives you and me to make some of the decisions we make every day is about control. But this desire to control isn't bad. As a matter of fact, one of the fruits of the Spirit, and uh, uh, Paul says to Timothy that, the, that, the, the, that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and self-control. And so this desire to control isn't what's bad. What makes a control freak a control freak and what makes control bad is when we try to control things that we're not designed to control. That's what makes a control freak a control freak. That's what makes control bad. Control becomes bad when we try and control another human being, right? And and when you have kids, this becomes clearly obvious that you can't actually control another human being, although we try. Control is bad when we try and control a company or an organization or even a church. It becomes bad. Control is bad when we can't rest without it. You see, these are what makes a control freak a control freak. But here's what I think is the ultimate test of whether or not you're a control freak, whether or not I'm a control freak, which, by the way, I am. I'm a closet control freak. But here's the ultimate test is this. How do you respond when you get a no? How do you respond when you get a no? What's your reaction when the answer to your prayer, maybe the prayer that you have been praying for a very, very long time, and a prayer that you can look at God's word and say, of course he will answer yes to this. How do you respond when the answer to those prayers are no? How do you respond when the answer to your request is no? The answer to your question is no. Well, here's why this drives control freaks crazy. Here's why it drives me crazy, and here's why I'm guessing it drives you crazy is because this. A no shows that you're not in control. A no from God, a no from from somebody that's an authority to you, anytime you get a no when you want a yes, what it shows is that you're not in control. Because if you were, the answer would be yes, right? You see, we all have this experience of what it means to get a no, how it feels to get a no, even to a very reasonable request. We we all know that tension of realizing that we're not in control. And this is true not only of us, it was true in the ancient church as well. We're in the middle of a series called uh, Greater Than. And today we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. So if you want, you can go ahead and turn there. If you're using the Bible in front of you, it's on page 842 is where we're going to be. 
Um, and if you're using the Bible app, uh, you can open your Bible, download the Bible app, go to events and click on Fellowship Asheville. All the announcements will be there. Links to our website will be there. And if you keep scrolling down, the, the, the points for my message and places for you to take notes and even the scriptures are going to be there for you. So you can look at it from your phone. And in the series uh, in Hebrews called Greater Than, we're seeing that Jesus is greater than. We've seen that he's greater than, than uh, people. Even the most spiritual of people, Jesus is greater than. We've seen that he's even greater than the most spiritual of beings, angels. And so we've seen that he's better than any spirituality. But today, here's what we're going to see. And today, this one might hit home a little more than some of the other ones, because today we're seeing that Jesus is greater than our control. Jesus is greater than our control. Which is why the preacher, because if you remember, the book of Hebrews isn't a letter, it's a sermon that was preached. And so instead of referring to the author, I'm referring to the preacher because this is, this is a sermon that was preached. And, and, and this preacher is going to start off with this statement. Well, we're picking up in the beginning of his sermon. But look at verse 5. It says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Now, it's kind of a strange comment because if you remember, not only have we seen that Jesus is greater than people, not only have we seen that Jesus is greater than any spiritual being, we also saw uh, last, well, not last week because that was Vision Sunday, the week before that, we saw that if Jesus isn't greater than people and if Jesus isn't greater than spiritual beings, in other words, if people are greater than Jesus or if, or if another spirituality is greater than Jesus, then what happens is this preacher gave this first warning. He said, if Jesus isn't greater than, then you might drift away from the gospel that drew you in. And what's great is he said this gospel is still available to, to draw you in. At any given time, you can revert back, you can confess and repent and, and, and make Jesus greater than, and, and, and that drifting stops. But then what this preacher does is he anticipates this next question. For his congregation, because you see, to drift, when someone drifts away from the gospel, when someone drifts away from Jesus, chances are they had to come, they're going to have to come face to face with some no that they heard. Because in some situation in their life, when they asked the question, is this person greater than Jesus, they wanted a yes and they got a no. No, Jesus is greater than this person. And instead of embracing that no, they, they drifted away. Or they embraced a spirituality and they said, this spirituality is greater than Jesus. And God said, no, Jesus is greater than this spirituality. And instead of embracing that no, they drifted away. And so now this preacher, see, they've come face to face with this no. And so what happens is when a no is greater than a yes, drifting is the result. So when a no is greater than a yes, drifting is the result. And that's where this preacher has just left this congregation, and so now he's going to deal with that. And this reaction was to drift away, and as they come back, they have to deal with this question that, that maybe you're thinking about a no that you've been getting, and it's this. If I'm not in control, then who is? And this preacher is going to answer this question, and this verse, because remember, a no says that you're not in control, and, and in this verse... Um, he's anticipating that, and here's why. It was common belief, um, and you see it in Scripture, and I'll show you in just a minute. It was common belief that angels were the ones that were in control. 
right? Because in Deuteronomy, uh, in Deuteronomy 32, it's this great picture where, where God has brought all the, all the heavenly beings together and he divides up the land based on how many angels there are. And so this angel is over this land and, or, or this people group and this angel is over this land and this people group. And then if you, if you look in the book of Daniel, you even see that. You see an angel is, is over Greece. An angel is over Persia. An angel is over Israel. And so, so in Daniel, which is this incredible book of prophecy, it's almost like the, the, the spiritual world, the corner of the page is peeled back a little bit and we get this little picture into what happens in the spiritual world. And, and it seems like, There is evidence that angels are over specific geographic regions. And so the assumption was, if that's true, are they the ones that are in control under what happens in that region? Are angels in control? Well, look, this is what the preacher says in in verse 6. He says, as as it's been testified somewhere, which by the way, he's quoting Psalm 8, but I actually take great joy that when he's preaching, he forgets the address of what he's quoting. That makes, it's very comforting. So he says, ah, it says somewhere. um, uh, What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? So in Psalm 8, this preacher here takes this quote and he's trying to answer the question of who's in control. And this psalm is a psalm of David, and, and, and it's a psalm of David when he's, he's out in the fields, and he probably wrote it when he was a shepherd, and he's looking out at the stars, and he sees the vastness of creation and the, and the greatness of God, and that's what he's meditating on. And, and, and when you just read Psalm 8, you can think that this is David meditating on how big God is and how small humanity is. Which is why he says, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? And so this could be about humanity, but as we'll see in just a little bit, this isn't just about you and me. This is about one person who became human for us. Because look at verse 7. It says, for you made him a little, uh, for you made him for a little while lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. So see, there's only one person who for a little while was made lower than the angels and then was crowned with honor and glory, and that's Jesus. And look at what else happened to him in verse 8. It says, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And so what this psalmist is saying by quoting Psalm 8 and answering the question, are angels in control What this preacher is doing, he's saying, no, Jesus is in control. Everything was in subjection to him. Jesus is in control. He is the one that controls everything, which is why the preacher gives this commentary. And the rest of verse 8, he says, now, putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. Which is awesome, isn't it? Jesus is in control. And so the answer to our question of who's in control, whenever we get a no and we ask the question, well, then who's in control? The the answer to that is Jesus is in control. Right? So let's pray, have communion, and go home. But there's still a problem with that. You see, if Jesus is in control, why did any of us put a finger up? When I did that little quiz, why did any of us put a tick on a piece of paper that, yeah, I like to help people drive? 
You see, if you held up one finger, you're as guilty as holding up all of them because that means in some area in your life, you believe Jesus isn't in control. You are. And here's why that is. He says, at present, we don't see everything in subjection to him. So yes, Jesus is in control of everything. But right now, we don't see that. We don't see everything in subjection to him. And right now, by the way, was 2,000 years ago when this preacher preached this sermon. Right now is also today. Like we still don't see everything in subjection to him. But notice the emphasis. It's we don't see everything in subjection to him. It's not that everything's not. It's that we don't see everything in subjection to him. Theologians call this already and not yet. Right? Jesus is already in control of all things, and we don't see it. Not yet. Which means one day we will see everything under his control. But right now in this present day, the day that that you and I live in is a not yet. We don't see it yet. Cancer still ravages bodies. It's not yet. Poverty still eats away away at communities and nations. The fact that that we as a church are sponsoring some 40 orphans, um, economic orphans, uh, real orphans in Haiti shows that we're not yet. Not yet. Women are still abused. It's not yet. Shooters still take aim on innocent people. It's not yet. Pain and suffering are, are still present and in many ways still growing very strong. It's already, but not yet. In the most selfish ways, the most self-centered ways, we still get a no when we want a Yes. Not yet. We still don't see Jesus in control of everything. He is in control of everything. But we don't see him fully subjected. We don't see ourselves fully subjected to him. We don't see the world fully subjected to him. Because see, when we hear a no, we want to know why. Right? When you get the diagnosis, we want to know why. When the wreck happens, we want to know why. When the bank account's empty, we want to know why. But church, what if there is a better way to respond when God says no? What about when we get any kind of no? You see, we can't see all things subjected to him, but look at what this preacher says we can see. So we can't see Jesus in control, but look at what we can see in verse 9. In verse 9, it says, but we see him. So we don't see everything under control, under Jesus' control, but we see Jesus. So what if a no isn't a wall? What if a no isn't a closed door? What if a no is an invitation into something better? 
One commentator I read talked about our prayer life and, and how oftentimes we pray in times of suffering and in pain. We pray in times where we're getting a no when we really want a yes. And he said this, he said, oftentimes our prayers are more about feeling better. That's become more important than finding God. And so church, what if a no from God is actually an invitation to know God? What if a no is an invitation to know? What if when you get a no, it's actually an invitation to know God deeper? You see, in many circumstances, we can't see everything, and in some circumstances, we can't see anything under the control of Jesus. The world looks crazy sometimes. And yet, in any circumstance, we can always see Jesus. Last week, um, Linda Lou, if you haven't met Lou and Linda Lou, they usually sit right there, second service. And she came up to me and told me uh, a story about someone who's very close to them. Lou and Linda Lou are of the age where they're losing a lot of their friends uh, to death. Um, and uh, they have uh, someone very close to them right now that's dying and has cancer and has been battling cancer for a long time and is dying. And this is one in a string of deaths here in the past couple of years. And, and I think it finally, they finally kind of hit their limit with it. And, and they finally, she kind of felt in her heart that she was finally asking why. Why does this happen? You know, and I think part of her question is, Jesus, why don't you just come back and make all things right? Jesus, I know you're in control. Why does it look like you're not in control? And so she prayed. And even in this circumstance, I don't think God sees it as a closed door, but he sees it as an invitation to know him deeper. And as Linda was waking up one morning and started praying for her friend and actually started praying for her husband too and herself and just how they were dealing with the grief, she said, in that moment, Jesus met her. And this no became an invitation to know. And she said, and it felt like Jesus said the sweetest thing to me because she said, Jesus, he said, Jesus is greater than sorrow. And that even in this sorrow of losing someone very close to you, Jesus said, I'm still greater than that. And, and this moment that turned, um, this moment that was sorrowful and, and could turn into bitterness and, and could turn, even turn into drifting away, instead became a place of worship for her. So she ended up laying in bed worshiping Jesus. I think of Eric Gorney right now, if many of you know him. Uh, he had esophageal cancer, um, and the actual type of cancer he has is a word about this long. It looks Norwegian or something. I don't know. It's this long. And um, he went through months of therapy where they literally, not to get gross here, but they literally um, cut out his esophagus and attached his stomach to his throat. So, he, so, so food just goes straight down. His stomach's about this big now. He's lost 85 pounds. As part of this, um, he was having some GI issues and um, went to the hospital and for, since November. He's been having them. Um, they keep trying all these conservative therapies and nothing's worked. And so they finally went in and opened him up and found a tumor in his intestine. About the size of a ping pong ball or small lime, they said. And um, the doctors were a little stumped because it didn't make sense that this would be the same cancer that was in his throat. Um, 
but they sent it to wherever they send it to get tested, and it came back as the same cancer, which means it has spread all over his body, which means he's got six more months of chemotherapy. Eric's facing a no right now from God, where we have prayed for him, we have done everything we can as a church, and And it's one of those where you look at it and you go, let this be a yes, God. He's got children. He's got a wife who loves him. Let this be a yes. And yet it's a no. But yet it's an invitation to know God deeper, even in this. And as I was in the hospital praying with Eric, that's his hope. I mean, we prayed for healing. We asked Jesus to get rid of this cancer and move him forward. But what Eric wants is he wants to know God in the midst of this. And I asked him if I could share that, and he said yes. And so I share that to ask you to pray for him too. Um, Just his own faith. This is a really big no for him, as you can imagine. And he feels exhausted. And he doesn't feel like he can do this for another six months which is right where God can show up and right where he can know God deeper. And so maybe the no that you're facing right now isn't as big as these. But you know what? It's still a no. And it's still an opportunity to know God deeper right wherever you are. And look at this Jesus who you can know. Look at, look at the next part of verse nine. It says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering death. So this Jesus that you get to know, this Jesus that you can see was crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. And here's what this means. A lot of people um, um, kind of attribute God to allowing Jesus to suffer death so that uh, the gospel could be the gospel. We could have this good and right relationship with God. But, but here's what it also shows about God, that our God is actually a suffering God. He embraces suffering. He allowed his son, he allowed himself to suffer for our sake. He suffers with us every day. Suffering is not something that is, is distant from God. It's a part of who God is. It's, it's a part of his patience. It's a part of his mercy. It's a part of his kindness. See, in, in our suffering, we can know him there. He's not afraid to go there with you. He's not afraid to meet you there. See, when we get a no, we can know him because he has known suffering. And that's our gospel, that Jesus died and rose from the dead to pay the penalty for you and me to have a good and right relationship with the God who made us. He embraced suffering because it's a part of who he is. And as a result of that, we get to walk with God in our suffering. He meets us there. And just like we all get no's, look at who, who gets this invitation to know Jesus. And the rest of verse 9, it says that, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for who? Who does it say? Everyone. He doesn't just do it for the good people. He doesn't just do it for the really bad people. He does it for everyone, that the gospel is available to everyone. This invitation 
To know God in the midst of your nose is an invitation to everyone. It's an invitation to you. It's an invitation to me. It's an invitation to all of us, no matter what our no is. And as I share about Linda Lou and as I share about Eric, your, your initial response would probably go, well, my no is nothing like that. The invitation is to you. In that no that seems petty and small, it's an invitation to know God. And so maybe you're here today and church is new to you. Maybe you're not even sure who Jesus is. And when I talk about him being God, that seems confusing. That's okay. That invitation is for you. This gospel is for you. The fact that Jesus died and suffered and tasted death for you. And he did this so that you can know him. And maybe today is the day that you surrender your life to him. And accept this invitation to know him. And you let him have control where you have been fighting. You let him have control where you have been apathetic. But maybe you've already done that. And you've been in church for a really long time. And, 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 and you've been walking with Jesus for a really long time. That gospel is still what you need. That invitation is still for you. To know Jesus whenever you get a no. You see, because Jesus has done all this, you can know him. And because you know him, you can trust him. See, for us, the church, here's what it means to know God. It means to trust him. To know is to trust. And so my question to you is, where do you need trust today? Where's that know that you've been getting? Where do you need to let a no be an invitation to know Jesus deeper? You see, communion is a great picture of this. And, and when we do communion the way we do it here at Fellowship is um, Cam and whoever will come up and, and play a little music. And what I want you to do before you come down, you'll, you'll take a juice and you'll take a cracker and go back to your seat. And we'll take the elements together. And the little white plate is gluten-free crackers um, if you want uh, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so you're going to eat a lot of junk today anyway, so why not go for the gluten? You're going to feel it anyway. Um, um, uh, but, but before you come down to the communion table today, I felt like we needed a little levity, sorry. Um, uh, before you come down to the communion table today, what I want you to do is whatever no that you're facing, I want you to, to use that as an invitation to know Jesus today and take some time and, and, and even if you need to hold your hand out, the same hand that you held fingers out, if you need to hold your hand out and just say, Jesus, I give this no to you. And I take it as an invitation to know you better. If you need to do that before you come down, do that. And, and if you're new to fellowship, you don't have to be a member at fellowship uh, to take communion. You don't have to be a member of a church to take communion. What you do need to do, though, is be a follower of Jesus. And maybe you coming down to the table is your way of saying yes to Jesus and accepting that invitation and taking a, a, a picture of his body and a picture of his blood. And, and as you receive those, it is receiving Jesus. So if so, then this table is for you. And so where have you been fighting a no and instead you need to know God? Let's, let's pray.